We're studying tonight Psalm 125. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, these, the first group of the Psalms of Ascent seem to be focused especially on the idea of uh, security, security from our enemies. If we go back to uh, Psalm 121 to begin with, you see that we have there a an assurance from God that uh, we are safe under God's care. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. It's a very individual sound. The, the you there in that part of the psalm is a singular you. The Lord is your keeper. So each one of the people of God is here assured that the Lord keeps him from all evil. In Psalm 125, we have, or I'm sorry, in Psalm 122, we have the idea of peace, especially in the last part of the psalm, and that too seems to be, uh, partly anyway, the idea of security, peace be within your walls, especially calls our attention to that, that the walls of Jerusalem are a defense to her against her enemies. Psalm uh, 123, uh, we seek this uh, security from the hand of our master. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. Psalm 124 urges us to confess this uh, security, this idea of security, uh, and to confess it together as the people of God. Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. And this is the idea, too, of Psalm 125. Here we have a proclamation of the security of Zion. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. So we look at this psalm under the theme, the security of those who trust in the Lord. And we're just going to work our way through the psalm verse by verse. In the first verse of this psalm, we have a comparison between Mount Zion and those who trust in the Lord. Mount Zion was, of course, a very strong fortress. It was known in the, those days, in fact, as a, a very strong fortress, a 
place that would be difficult to conquer. And in fact, of course, Israel was not able to conquer the fortress of Zion all through the time of the judges. Uh, For some 400 years after they began the conquest of the land of Canaan, Jerusalem, or the fortress of Zion, anyway, was held by the Jebusites. And it was not until the time of David, actually, then, that, uh, and when David became king over all Israel, that David decided to take the fortress of Zion for himself. When he did make that decision, we read this in 2 Samuel 5, Verse 6, 2 Samuel 5, verse 6, And the king and his men, that's David, went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. So the Jebusites were so confident in the strength of the fortress of Zion that they said, Attack us if you like, but all we have to do is put the blind and the lame of the city on the walls and they will be able by themselves to repel your army. It was a very strong fortress. Nevertheless, David took the fortress. Uh, It was taken, in fact, under the leadership of Joab, who, as a reward for doing so, became the commander of David's army from that time forward. David then made Zion his stronghold, and it remained as the stronghold of the people of God and of the kings of Judah all through the history of that kingdom. That strength of Zion is uh, celebrated, as we just sang in Psalm 48, especially, first of all, in verses 4 and following, For behold, the kings assembled, and they assembled against Zion. They passed by together, they saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled, they hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain as of a woman in birth pangs. And then again in verses 12 and 13, Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers, mark well her bulwarks, consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. Zion was a city that could not be moved, but abides forever, as Psalm 125 says. And what the psalm does then is say, those who trust in the Lord are like that strong fortress on Mount Zion. They are unconquerable. They are strongly defended, so strongly defended that they cannot be moved, but abide forever. Now I think it's important that we pay attention to the fact that he says here, those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion. It is when we trust in the Lord that we are safe. When we do not trust in the Lord, as we should, then we Uh, expose ourselves to the dangers, to the threats which our enemies bring against us, then we are weak. Then we are no longer within, as it were, the walls of Zion. And we do not have the walls of Zion to defend us against the attacks of the enemies. We have forsaken the strength of Zion. And we have exposed ourselves in all our weakness and in all our vulnerability to our enemy, 
And our enemies are many. This is a, another theme that you see often in the Psalms. And just a couple of places here in Psalm 3, verse 6, for example, David says, and this was when Absalom had uh, driven him out of the city of Jerusalem and set himself up as king in his place, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Or in Psalm 12, from a little different perspective, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. And then in the last verse of that same psalm, the wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. But in the middle of that psalm, here's the word of the Lord, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord, I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. So when we trust in the Lord, we are strong. When we forsake the Lord, we are weak. And yet even then, even then when we uh, turn away from the Lord, the Lord preserves his own people. No man, he says, will ever pluck them out of my hand. Not one of those whom he has given to his son will perish. So those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They cannot be moved, but abide forever. Now, verse 2 carries on this comparison, but develops it also. And it compares the mountains around Jerusalem to the Lord's defense of his people, the Lord being around his people. Notice how it develops the idea of the first verse. In verse 1, we have the proclamation of the safety of those who trust in the Lord, but in verse 2, we have the explanation of that safety of those who trust in the Lord. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. It is because the Lord is the defense of Zion and of Jerusalem that Zion and Jerusalem are safe. And it is because the Lord is the defense of his people that his people are safe from their enemies. Now, again, um, we notice here that he moves from Zion to Jerusalem. Zion was, of course, a fortress within the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was larger, therefore, than Zion. And Jerusalem itself was also a strongly defensible and strongly defended place. And it was very defense, a very defensible place because of the hills on which it stood and which surrounded it. Invading armies would find the city of Jerusalem a very difficult city to conquer because of its hills. The hills protected it in a very natural but a very effective way against invading forces. And what the psalm does then is it takes that uh, idea of the 
protection of Jerusalem by its hills, and it transposes that to the Lord's protection of his people. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. The Lord is like those hills that surrounded and protected Jerusalem. And the Lord stands around, is around his people to defend them from their enemies. He keeps them safe. It is he, therefore, who interposes himself between his people and their enemies. So that in order to get at his people, the enemies must uh, circumvent or overcome him. To do any harm to them, they must first do harm to him who has interposed himself between them and his people. And of course, God has done this for his people in our Lord Jesus Christ. He has interposed himself between us and our enemies. He has borne the brunt of all the attacks of our enemies. He has taken all the wickedness of our enemies upon himself, the wickedness even that resides within us. He has taken upon himself and interposed himself between the forces of wickedness, therefore, and ourselves, so that we are safe from the attacks of the devil, from the attacks of the world, and even from the attacks of our own flesh. The Lord surrounds his people, then, as the hills surround Jerusalem. But when you take this psalm, then, and put it into the context of the history of Israel, it immediately raises a question, of course. And the question arises from the fact that Mount Zion fell eventually. The city of Jerusalem fell to the conquering army of King Nebuchadnezzar. The people of Jerusalem were not safe in Zion or in Jerusalem. They were taken out and brought away to the land of captivity, to the land of Babylon. Zion, in fact, no longer exists in its Old Testament form. It has been moved. It does not abide anymore, but stands instead today as a monument to unbelief. Jerusalem is no longer the city of God, where the people of God find refuge from the enemies. So how good is this assurance of the psalm? What can we make of it in the light of the history that we know? And the answer to that question is, of course, that this psalm is not really talking about earthly Zion and earthly Jerusalem. This psalm is talking about the heavenly Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem. The earthly Zion and the earthly Jerusalem were very strong earthly places, But the heavenly Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem are really, truly impregnable to any attack of the enemy. 
The heavenly Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem are God's church. And God's church as it exists in the world. That church is safe from the attacks of the enemy. That's what this psalm is all about. It is safe. It cannot be moved. It abides forever. It has been from the day that God called it into existence, is now and will continue to be in the world until our Lord Jesus Christ returns again. It will not be shaken. It will abide forever. Now even here it's necessary to recognize, of course, that when the church forsakes her calling and fails to trust in the Lord as she should, she is sometimes shaken. She is sometimes moved by the power of her enemies. Heresy creeps in. She becomes unfaithful. She grows apostate. And yet, people of God, God always preserves for himself within the world a church called by the Lord Jesus Christ into existence and preserved and defended by him until the day of his return and the establishment of the new kingdom, the new Zion, and the new Jerusalem in the heavenly places. Zion is strong. Zion cannot be overcome. Zion is the city of God. and He surrounds her. As the, as the hills surrounded Jerusalem. Now verse 3 then takes this um, idea of the security of Zion a step further. And what it says in verse 3 is basically, not only does Zion stand secure through all the ages of the world, But never will the scepter of wickedness rest upon that place. Never will the scepter of wickedness have dominion in Zion and Jerusalem. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Now that that term, the land allotted, is a term that comes really out of the book of Joshua. When Joshua and the people of Israel had finished their conquest of the land of Canaan, then you remember that Joshua and the people of Israel uh, divided up the land between the tribes and the families of the nation of Israel. And they divided this land uh, among the tribes and families of Israel by lot. So that each family and each tribe of Israel had its own portion. You could translate the word here as portion, on the portion of the righteous. So this portion then, this land allotted to the righteous, is the land given to them by the Lord. When the people of Israel cast lots, it was not the kind of thing that we think of today, but it was a way of discerning the will of the Lord. It was... uh, Putting the whole matter, 
how shall the land be divided into the hands of the Lord? And saying, however you make the lot fall, that's your revelation of your will to us, and that's what we will do. We will do what your will determines for us. So what they're saying, what the psalm is saying here, is that this is the land that was assigned to them by the Lord. This was the land that was assigned to the people of God by the Lord himself. It came to them by his conquest of their enemies. It came to them by his assignment to each of the families of the nation of Israel, their portion within that land according to his own will. They had the land by his will then, and by his power, and by his conquest of their enemies. And what the text is saying is, the scepter of wickedness is never going to rest on that portion that has been assigned to the righteous. The scepter of wickedness will never rule in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ will never rule over the portions which are assigned to each of God's people within that city of God. Each has his place. Each has his portion in the kingdom of heaven. Christ is king there. And the scepter of wickedness will not rule in that place. He is the unconquerable king. The king who sits on the hill of Zion and who laughs at the counsels of the nations against the Lord and against his anointed. And this has as its purpose, people of God, that the righteous will not reach out their hands to iniquity The scepter of wickedness is prevented from ruling in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ and over the portion of the righteous, so that the righteous will not commit iniquity. This is the work that our Lord Jesus Christ is doing in us, in the world today. He is establishing his rule in our hearts. He is establishing his rule in his church. He is establishing his rule in his kingdom. And he is establishing that rule in such a way as to you know, lift the scepter of iniquity from that portion, from that land which he has chosen for himself and to prevent any rule, any dominion of the scepter of wickedness over his own people. This is the point, isn't it, of the casting out of demons by our Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. That mastery of of people by demons, by demon possession in the time of our Lord Jesus Christ was a picture of the mastery of Satan over the natural man, over the man who has been enslaved by sin. When our Lord Jesus Christ cast out those demons, he showed his authority over them and his power to lift the scepter of wickedness away from his own and to deliver them from the bondage and power of Satan under which they had fallen. He is, Satan is the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, but he is not our prince. 
And he does not rule over our spirits. Christ rules over our spirits. Lest the righteous put forth their hands to iniquity. Now verse 4 shifts. In verses 1 to 3 we have had this very strong and beautiful proclamation of the safety of Zion and of the safety of those who trust in the Lord. But verse 4 is a prayer, a prayer which we make to the Lord. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. Now I think there are two things that we should notice about that. In the first place, we should notice about that prayer that it goes beyond a mere prayer for defense. The idea of defense and security is there. Be our security. Be our defense. Be a shield about us. Is certainly part of that prayer. But it's a prayer for all the good that God has promised to his people. I think that prayer, and that's the second thing we want to notice about it, I think that prayer is deliberately not very specific. Do good. What kind of good? What particular good? Well, all good. Everything that you have promised It's a prayer for God to, as it were, open up the doors of his storehouses and begin to bring up out of those storehouses all the abundance of treasures that he has laid up for his people and promised to them over the years of their existence. It's a prayer, as it were, that he would open his hand and let flow from his hand the bounties that he has prepared for those who love him. Those things unimaginable and inconceivable, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us. Inconceivable to our minds because they are so great and so wonderful and so rich. It is the enriching of the land allotted to them to make it a land flowing with milk and honey. It is the giving to them of all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It is all the riches of the salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ who made himself poor so that we may become rich. It is the giving to us of all things, for all things are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But it's a prayer, notice, again, for those who are upright. It's not a prayer for the wicked. and In fact, it is a prayer which deliberately excludes them. The psalm continues to set before us this fundamental division of the human race between the righteous and the wicked, between God's people and Satan's 
people, between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. This is a prayer for the good of those who are upright, for the good of those who belong to the Lord. And what does it have to say then about the wicked? Well, that's in the first part of verse 5. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Now that, I think, verse makes a, um, a distinction that's important here. Notice how it says, it talks about those who turn aside to their crooked ways, and then mentions in the last line there, the workers of iniquity. I think these are intended to be two separate groups. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. The workers of iniquity are those enemies who are without, those enemies who surround the walls of Zion, who want always to be uh, coming in, who want to be destroying Zion, tearing down her walls and taking her people captive. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways are those who are within the city. Those who belong externally to the city. Those who may have confessed the Lord as their refuge and their strength. But who turn aside from that confession into their own crooked ways. And who attack Zion from within them. What does it say? What does the psalm say about these who turn aside to their crooked ways? The Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. That is, he will lead them out of the city. He will cause them to join the workers of iniquity with whom they really belong. And he will lead the whole of that group away from his city and he will shut the doors behind them and close the city against them forever, so that the city will be strong and safe, both from enemies within and enemies without. The judgment of the Lord therefore comes on those who turn aside to their crooked ways. Now we have... Finally, in the last line of the psalm, a blessing. Peace be upon Israel. We find this blessing again in Psalm 128, the very last line. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This a blessing of peace, which we pronounce upon Israel, is again a blessing which we have been seeking in the, the psalms that precede, the psalms of ascent that precede this one. You find in Psalm 120, verses 6 and 7, My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak... They are for war. You find it again in most, especially in Psalm 122, 
the last few verses of the psalm. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We are urged there. May they prosper who love you. This is the prayer itself. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, Peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now that peace is, of course, first of all, peace from those enemies who hate Zion and Jerusalem and who are always attacking her and seeking to destroy her. And regarding those enemies, we confess this in Psalm 46. Psalm 46. uh, About the middle of that psalm, we have this. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. That's the first part of that peace that we seek. But it's also peace from all the sin and the troubles of our lives here in the world. It's peace within Zion, between the people of God. That peace also we pray for here, or we bless Zion with it here. It's peace with the Lord, to whom our Lord Jesus Christ has reconciled us by the blood of his his cross. It's peace not only with the Lord, but from the Lord. Psalm 85, verses 8 and 10, especially. Psalm 85, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. And then again in verse 10, mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. When we bless Zion with this peace, Then we confess too, again in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. We say instead there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of our God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. When we bless Zion with peace, we bless her with the blessing of Christ, who is our peace, and who said, My peace I leave with you, and my peace I give unto you. It is the peace that passes understanding. May God bless us with the word which we have heard.